Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to sell that? Why can't you be normal like everybody else? All right. Were your parents morons too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. That was a really good job. I'm getting ready. I'm ready. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of anyone then. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Hey there, folks. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM, based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person, or you're thinking about becoming one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years, and I've started or helped start several different businesses too. The Savvy Entrepreneur Show has two goals to share helpful information and resources, and second, to inspire, to make your journey as an entrepreneur faster and easier, and maybe just a little bit more fun. To help with that, I have guests every week on the show, and my guest this week is Constance Edward Scopolitis, and I should ask you, is it Scopolitis or Scopolitis? (laughs) Both work. One is more true to the Greek phonetics, uh, but I go by Scopolitis. Scopolitis. Okay. Uh Thank you. (laughs) And she is the CEO and really the founder of a business called Constance Art. And she joins me today from Indiana. Constance Art is a full-time visual art studio. She says 90% of the production is one-off. I don't know if that means one-off in terms of artwork or one-off in terms of clients, but we'll find out more in a minute. She says 50% of annual income is generated through oil portraits with clients in the private and corporate sectors. She has a degree, a fine arts degree from Indiana University. Uh, I'm a University of Illinois grad and uh, there's a huge rivalry. So I won't (laughs) hold that against you, Constance, I promise. Uh, She continued after graduating from IU, uh, her studies with the legendary American painter Isabel Bishop, and she had further arts, uh, further studies at the Art Students League in New York City. She's been awarded several national and interna- international fellowships and regularly exhibits her work in national and international art fairs, including Art Miami during Basel Week. I, I haven't been down there, but I hope to get there soon. Constance, with that introduction, thanks so much for being on the show today. Welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur. Thank you, Doris. You know, I think the best place to start is for you just to talk a little bit more about your business. What kind of art do you do, really? Um, Who's your target audience and how do your customers and clients find you? Those are very good questions. I have an unusual business, I would say, for uh, as an artist in that I live a kind of double double life. And what I mean by that is I have this skill set that I was highly trained formally to do portrait art. But this is because my training goes back to the 70s. 
and figurative art and portrait art was um, really big in the art world. It was respected. It's still respected, don't get me wrong. But once I established that portrait art business, because I had a, somehow I had a knack for getting the likeness of a subject. I really believe that that is, that is a gift. I have, I have definitely practiced it. I have improved it. I have built upon that skill. But if you find yourself being able to do that, then it launches you into that field where one positive, successful job or commission gets you the next commission. Ah, because people see it hanging yes. on the wall and they go, wow, that's a great portrait of you. Who did right. that? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. So, um, but along the road, uh, once I had established um, the portrait art business, and that's coast to coast, I actually travel to people's homes. And uh, I have a lot of business regionally as well. Most of my business would be regionally, but I'm going coast to coast. I just got back from Florida with a wonderful client and I do what I call memoir interview questions. And I try to get a sense of how that person views themselves. No matter what I see, a portrait is about what the person, the commissioner, wants to see at the end of a project. Right. So commissions are different than just creating art. You know, you create art that comes from within yourself. That's the other side of my business. And that's just been an absolute whirlwind, wonderful side of my life. And I'll explain that in a minute. But the commission work, you are working for someone and you must please them. And some artists just can't take that. <laughs> Can't well, I, I'm sure that's difficult because you're, you know, you're um, even with portraits, I'm sure there's times where you're like, I see a side of this person and they don't necessarily want me to, they don't that, want me to yeah. reveal that, but I need to reveal it because otherwise I can't really capture who they are. Well, okay. This sends me off into an interesting tangent where. Tangent away. Yes. Thank you. I, uh, with the formal training, I used to do straight ahead jazz, they would call it portrait art, which means what you see is what you get. It looks like the person. Now that, that I'm you know, years into this, I've been able to morph my portrait art into a more contemporary um, uh, uh, style. Ah, yeah. so like what I see behind your head. Exactly, which is why I put that back there. That is actually a self-portrait. And I keep that to show people what you can do if you'll answer my interview questions about where do you go when you close your eyes and you daydream? You know, it's amazing what some people's answers are. What a recent uh, gentleman said, the tennis court. Well, okay, that's his happy place. How do you romanticize tennis into <laughs> a portrait? Because I also try to have the sensibility that I'm portraying someone in such a way, no matter what we put in there, like I have a lightning bolt on my chest. Well, that that's perfect for me because I have a lot of energy and I have a lot of lust and, and passion for life. So let's just be a lightning bolt, but waves calm me down. I'm a fire sign. So I had to have the waves at the bottom of a portrait. Oh, you know, interesting. So such things as that. Also being a hippie child. So I have some of my, my tie dye and, and, and flowers and things in there. But everybody is individual. 
And there's more to a person than just their face. Right. And I'll also say that beauty is rare. Beauty is rare. If I was just to be doing portraits of beautiful people, let's face it, most people are beautiful at 17. And then we start, <laughs> and then we start showing the, our world experiences in our posture, in the lines on our face. Right. Which ones does the person want to own? Which ones do they want to cast off? Who wants to keep their double chin? Who would like me to sculpt their jawline back? It's really, it's funny and, and interesting. Those are, but, it's, a, it's a modern day, it's um, uh, a type of Photoshopping. That's exactly right. Only it's in this old world field of oil painting and then mixed media, collaging, putting, I actually collaged a child's violin bow into the canvas on a, oh, on a, a wreath. Interesting. Yeah, to, to, and, you know, to show that the child was just crazy about music and their violin lessons. Well, you know, how do you, okay, so let's say someone commissions, this has always made me curious. Someone commissioned you, they say, I, you know, I want a piece of art for my living room. Yeah. How in the world do you take that and turn it into... I mean, at least with a portrait, you have a real life person right. answer questions and is sitting there in front of you. How do you, how do you do that? Well, I have a short answer for that. And then another tangent. And that is, <laughs> <laughs> I am considered, if, if you have to put me into a genre in the art world, I am considered a narrative figure artist. And what that means is I am taking people and human stories and putting those into a canvas um, as a narrative, a story. I'm a storyteller. I'm not doing landscapes. Let's, let's just compare it that way. I'm, ah, okay. okay. Or, or abstract, you know, blotches and blotches. And yeah. yeah, no abstracts, no, no, um, no still lifes, no bowls of fruit, you know. There is a place for that. And I have artist friends who do it fantastic. I could not paint a rose. Well, maybe I could learn, but you get the idea. I'll leave that to them and their expertise. Right. Right. But I'm good right. with drawing the human figure and capturing the likeness of a human. But I'm, I'm inspired by the stories of, of us humans. Wow. You know, the psychology, the the, 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 even the politics, the, you know, gender, race, and identity things have... I have so many ideas. There are not enough hours for me to actually execute everything I would like to do. So most people do not commission me to do my paintings. Most people will come into my studio or into my gallery exhibition and they will say, I can picture that in my home. I love the narrative wow. and I want that. Mm. I have done commissions based on people's desires you know, I had, a, I had a family who lived in California who wanted something about the beautiful vineyard fields of grapes out of Sonoma, Napa, because that was a big part of their life. And, and, and so it was almost a landscape in a way, um, uh, but it also had a goddess in it, you know, with, along with Bacchus, you know. <laughs> Of course, the God of wine, right? Right, right. And, and they were, and that worked out to be a really great commission. I should mention that that there is a um, attitude, I would say, in the contemporary art world, which I am very heavily 
involved in. I'm considered a contemporary artist at this stage in my life um, because I got involved in new forms of art and art media. What that means is I've actually gotten into hiring teams of, of very young, brilliant computer coders. I'm not gonna take the time at this stage in my life to go to school for two years and learn how to computer code. Right. But I can hire a team to do that with me so that I can figure out how to make my original artwork. Let's say I've done a, a, a painting and I want the painting to come to life. I started developing that about 12 years ago so that when you walk up to one of my paintings, um, you can touch the surface because it's on a monitor that's framed and you can you wow. can touch screen and change the way my art looks. You oh, how show. cool. It's been really, really um, a fascinating, fun, fast paced, expensive endeavor. But that leads me to the part about my business of, if you wanna be successful as an artist, in my opinion, you must be a risk taker. If you play it safe and you stay in your genre your entire life, because let's face it, artists, artists in general live to be pretty old. <laughs> we are, we are, we're alone, we're, we're kind of calm. Uh, now some people, if you're drinking too much, you've dropped out by age 45. <laughs> right, 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 but you know, that's probably true of uh, lots of artists. I mean, it's certainly a profession or a, a calling that you can do for yeah. many people. Right. For years and years. I'm just thinking, I went to see the Chicago Symphony a couple of years ago, yeah. uh, before, just before the pandemic. And um, I, I was amazed at how, how long in the tooth so many of the musicians were. Um, yes. And yeah. I've, I've been told that's not atypical. I mean, it's, uh, you yeah. know, you're, if you're a, you're a flautist, for example, it's kind of depressing because you know, the flautists, there's two flautists for every, you know, big oh. symphony and they live to be a hundred and they keep playing. <laughs> they never leave. So, you know. I guess if you're good, you're good, but you're right. What, what opportunities do younger people have? Well, it's just, you know, it's a comment though, to, it's just echoing a comment for you that artists, um, you know, a lot of artists can be very productive and uh, maybe even produce some of their best work later in their later years. I feel like that's true for me, uh, not until my mid 40s and then and then a big leap in my mid 50s. I mean, uh, it's 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 really been interesting to see the trajectory compared to, I can talk a little bit about how I started because. Yeah, I was um, going to ask you really yeah. about, you know, did you always want to be an artist? And then um, how did you decide you wanted to make this your business? I mean, lots yeah. of us, you know, draw sketches of things, but, you know, we don't become, we don't become professional artists. Right. I can say the, the, the cliche quick answer to that is, an artist doesn't choose to be an artist. Art chooses the, the person, you know? It's like you, you realize you've got something inside you that needs to be spoken in some platform. Now, when I first went to college, I thought 
oh, I'm, I'm good at art. I've got that. Why don't I go major in creative writing? Well, after one semester, I thought, no, 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 no. Get back to what you know, improve, learn, and, and stick with your passion. And uh, so it was good that I tried that for a bit. I do enjoy writing, and someday I'll get some writing uh, down or out of me. But um, the visual arts are something where you have visions. I, I dream ideas. I've always slept next to a notepad. And in recent years, of course, my iPhone notepad, you know, where I can right. you know, make sure I remember a certain, certain idea. Right. But um, it's not really a choice. And if it's not a choice, it means it's an inner drive that helps you create your life. I had to make up, literally had to make up my life. I came from a very humble family. My, my mother was at home. My father went to work. Uh, left the house at 7.30, was home by 5.30. It was a paycheck to paycheck family. And when my parents died, there was not one dime in the bank. And, and you know, the, the idea of, of um, life insurance and all, that was not in, in my upbringing. Right. So here I am, you know, a, a, a whirling dervish in the middle of the rest of my family members. I'm the only one who did not suffer some kind of depression. Uh, everyone in my family was so lowered. They were chain smokers and coffee drinkers from 7 a.m. to 11 at night. And I never fit into that. And, I, you know, like maybe some children, I asked my parents, am I adopted? You know, because I just had a different personality. Was and it, Was it the milkman, mom? <laughs> So, so when I um, was 14, my parents darkened my bedroom door as a teen, which was unusual. Uh, and they came to me and said, we think you are a very smart girl and we think you are college material, but we're here to give you a heads up that we are not going to be able to help you go to college. And I am so, I was so thankful that my parents did that because at the time I was 14, my parents were 34 and I had three younger siblings all the way down to three years old. Yeah. And I went out and got a job the next week. And those were in the years where they would hire a 14 year old to be in a waitress situation. Oh yeah. I, I worked 20 hours a week throughout my entire high school. I graduated from high school early <laughs> went off to college a semester early, thinking I was going to be a writer, and then um, entered IU down in Bloomington, Indiana, and quickly decided I'm going to I'm going to give this a shot and I'm going to go into fine arts. So at Christmas time of my freshman year, I came home to announce to my parents that I was going to major in fine arts, and my mother cried. My father was speechless. And then he turned his back and walked away and said, well, you're just going to starve to death. Sounds like my dad. Exactly. I started right. out as a, a music performance major. There you go. You get what I'm talking about. How can you really do it? So it's I was, it is I, difficult. It's so difficult. But here's the one thing I'll say. Um, there's, there's a quote, and I, I think it was a novelist. Uh, but I'm not going to be able to tell you who it was at the moment. But we'll the same. Everybody, yeah. Just Google it. Just Google it. It might have been John Updike, but anyway, uh, a statement that said um, nothing good comes from a perfect childhood. 
<laughs> just love that because Funny. I had hunger as a child. I had deficits. I didn't have medical care. I had things that were tough. Yeah. And so the idea of trying to make a living as an artist, sure, I knew it was hard. It was going to be hard, and it was. But I wasn't as afraid of it because I thought I knew how to live on one chicken for three nights in a row. <laughs> well, all right. So you you finished your studies, and yeah. then you, you know, obviously you probably got some student loans and you got an apartment that you have to pay for. And right. so how did you go about setting up a business and, and getting started? I was so de uh, deliberate and, and energized by being successful at it, almost proving something that I walked into a, a, a downtown, a dying downtown in South Bend, Indiana, and walked into an old warehouse building that had a little general store in the bottom and the whole upstairs was empty. And I just blurted out to the owner, I said, I'm an artist, I need a studio. If I can fill all the space upstairs with other artists paying rent, would you give me an art studio? And they said, yes. So these are the things I learned very early is if you don't ask, you won't know if you're gonna get a yes or no. And trust me, the biggest part of being a creative person or an artist, musician, the, most, the biggest thing is the word no. Most of my life, I hear the word no. The rejections are rampant, but I just keep going because the yeses turn out to be pretty darn good. You know, It balances out in the end. So, I think that's a great piece of advice for, really people who want to start their own business in general is, yeah. Yeah. you know, you will get a lot of no's and um, yeah, not all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns. There's a lot of wonderful, wonderful things about having your own business and, and doing what you love, but, um, right. Right. But, it, but it, but it can be tough. So, um, you know, how did you learn about how to actually run your business? I mean, you know, it's, it struck me since we first chatted, yeah. that, um, you know, there, as you said, um, in a, in one of our, our, in our, our conversation we had before, uh, before the show that really all these people who are artists, musicians, writers, um, you know, all sorts of creative people, actors, they are you know, they're, most of them are giggers, right? Most of them, yes. most of them, if you're doing it full time, I mean, there's obviously a lot of people who work in corporate America or waitressing or whatever, and they do uh, their art on the side as much as they can. Yeah. But they're full time. Most of them, I mean, the vast majority are probably giggers. And um, I, gigging kind of is one of those words that irritates me because <laughs> it sounds sort of like it's not as important as, as a, a real job right. when in fact, these are essentially, you know, you and, and many other artists like you, you were self-employed small business people. That's right. That's right. That is what you, I don't care if you, you, what other labels you stick on it, but that means you're running a business. Yes. And there are things to think about with that. And yet, as far as I know, at least 
well, it was a long time ago, but, uh, you uh -huh. know, in music, there was no business of music, you know, like how do you set up a business right. to, uh, to actually profit and pay your bills yeah. being a musician? And I'm guessing that hasn't changed tremendously, uh, but Musicians, I think, have harder harder than than visual artists musicians have to be in real time to get door sales ticket sales and it and you know it doesn't add up to much and you have to divide it amongst the band right. music platforms have taken away the value of buying a cd you know for me there's there is a larger price tag and i learned how to price things by what the market would bear one of the lucky things about the art field is that there were already business selling platforms established before I ever got out of, of art school. And I'll tell you what they were. It was, it was the art fair. That's where you saw artists oh. set up an outdoor tent and put up their easels or their, their fake or their temporary walls and hang their works and have people walk by. It was genuinely a great platform when I first started uh, showing my work in the 80s like that. Um, I would book myself with commissioned portraits nine months out of the year just by doing one single one day art fair in Indianapolis on the art museum grounds. Wow. It was fantastic. Now, I always had a, I always had a side gig in the early days, but I'll tell you what it was. It was something that still kept my hand in, in my work. What I mean by that is I taught myself before there was YouTube <laughs> how to do um, drawings of buildings by looking at elevation blueprints. So I went to real estate companies. Now, see, I'm just making this all up, you know, along the way. I'm just, I'm just shooting in the wind here. I, when I got out of art school, my hair was, was, you know, down to my waist. I looked 16. I had to get my act together. So I cut my hair to my shoulders and um, uh, uh, introduced myself as Constance, even though my family called me Connie. You know, but my birth name was Constance, and then I adopted that name so I could be more professional, and, and I've had it since I was, you know, 21 years old now. But um, I went into a real estate company office, and I said, I have a few friends who are selling real estate, and I understand you have monthly meetings, sales meetings, where you just get together and talk about your strategies and all that. Can I come in and make a presentation? And then I pulled out a drawing of a house. I'd like your... I'd like your salespeople to present these house drawings at the bank closings as a gift for their business. It was so, of course they said I could come do that. I had so much work. I went almost blind drawing little bricks. They were only eight by 10 inches. I had a Polaroid camera in those days because I didn't have enough money to invest in a Nikon yet. And I would go to an address, take a Polaroid picture of a house and take it home to my drawing board <laughs> and map it all out and draw a drawing. You know, so that was my gig while I was developing the more important work, I would say the more financially important work of portrait art. Wow. We were talking about the fact that universities just don't, I, unless they've changed a lot, they're essentially, whether it's art schools, music schools, writing schools, 
general universities in the program, they're, they're sending out armies, essentially, mm-hmm. of future small self-employed business people in the form of musicians, writers, actors, artists of all sorts. And yet, how to make money, how to set up a business, how to, to learn the ins and outs of finding clients, keeping clients, paying your bills, I am sort of, you know, since you mentioned it, I've started thinking about it. It's astounding, really. How how do they get by with not offering a a whole sort of subset of required courses on how to actually, you know, set up market and run a successful business? Well, let me tell you the history that's behind the model of art school music school, mostly art school, I would say visual art school. It is a sin, let's just use that fun word, a sin for an artist to expect to be anything more than a romantic starving artist living in a garret, presenting their works and looking for the, the patrons. It is still embedded in the psyche and it's really here in America. In Europe, I believe the artists are a little more lifted up. They're considered the maestros of their villages. They're considered the, you know, the heroes of their neighborhood. If you're an artist, you are really uh, looked up to and people are, your neighbors are supporting you even with small purchases. In America, yeah. But most most people, I, I mean, it's just sort of strange because art for art's sake, I mean, maybe that worked in the, renaissance period in italy but uh... oh not even there i mean evidently i mean michelangelo starved to death and went mad because the vatican with all of its money never paid him while he was working all those years on the in the sistine chapel well, right and most i think most writers and artists and other kinds of craft people had yeah. you know they they had these patrons right i mean yes. so Who's going to, how do you find a patron? You know, I mean, let me tell you the statistics on who's attending art school these days. (laughs) Children who have the natural patron of their families who are willing to support them as artists when they, when they leave. And that, and that's, that's in the stats. If you want to research that the majority of art students today are coming from wealthy families from abroad, from Asia, and uh, American families who are in a position to support that. Now, the other half- It's becoming almost elitist. I mean- It is. Oh, yeah. There's music and the art and the theater for the people. I know. I know. I know. It's a changing world because I can launch back into a few comments about how my career has morphed into- having this stable income from portrait art, which is old world, really. I mean, ask me what my SEOs are on a website. It's almost impossible for me not to be mixed in with the photographers. Because when you say the word portrait, photography comes to mind. If I put an SEO uh, of words like fine art oil paintings, nobody knows what that means. You know what a photographic portrait is well you know. I, I go to a museum to see it right 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 and and museum. where's the museum I'll, I'll, <laughs> I love our oil paintings <laughs> bless you Doris because you know museum museums are getting you know uh, less attendees too and it's it's 
museums, even in my own city, have decided that they need to bring in the masses through some form of entertainment, as if paintings and sculpture was not enough. And, and that's been very disturbing for me. Now I'm probably dating myself with these comments because I think if you can't be quiet for five minutes on a bench and look at a painting, you know, you're just, you're in another stratosphere. If you well, have no, to- I, I don't think it's changed. And I'll give you an example, um, yeah. just one very tiny concrete example, but uh, one that I've heard other parents talk about. So when my daughter went to college, just yeah. a few years ago, you know, we took a tour and the engineering, science, math, chemistry, they had these huge built computer science, this huge <laughs> brand new campus with all these, yeah. you know, sponsored by Intel and Microsoft and Yahoo and Google. And um, I had graduated from that university in yeah. English. Uh -huh. And, you know, I, I showed my daughter the English building. You know what? It looked as old and dumpy. <laughs> it looked worse than it looked right. when I was there. So obviously there's no corporate money to fund a swanky new English building. I'm guessing that if I went to the art building, it would be the same. The music yes. building, probably the same. I mean, so. Yeah, it depends. Yeah, well, but let me tell you the new trend in art schools, specifically on the East Coast and the West Coast. I mean, back in 1982, I had a chance to go back and get a full-fledged master's degree in painting. And I really had always thought I would do that. I got distracted for a while with life, and then I thought, I got to get back to this. And uh, without name dropping, I mean, I, I had a portfolio review at a, at a major East Coast Ivy League art school. And that is the one regret I have in my life about my, my career is that I didn't quite have the courage to do it because of the finances. I did the math to go to a three-year program and pay for housing. And at the time I had a newborn infant and I was a single parent to pay for childcare, I was going to be something like $80,000 in debt in 1980, by the time it was 1985. $80,000 in debt when the launching salary for a college professor in art, which is what I thought I was gonna do. I love mentoring, I love teaching, I love helping. I thought I was going to do that. Well, the, the beginning pay for a college professor was $17,000. Well, I'm pretty good with math and I got my pencil out and I thought, ROI, as they say. I'll never pay off that art school debt for a $17,000 a year job. This is uh -huh. stupid. So that's when I got an extra boost into, I'm just going to go to the next step in launching my career and sticking with it and promoting. Um, I had a few big breaks. In um, 1999, I got picked up, they would say, by a major national gallery, art gallery in, in Maui, in Hawaii. Well, that was because I had clients in Indiana who had connections. That's why I keep, want to retur keep returning to how important it is for a person in the arts to network, 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 keep connected the clients who are already happy with a painting they have purchased or a portrait they've commissioned or a 
you know, one of my contemporary lenticular photographs, something's really pop art and all that, they're already happy. So they're happy to hear from you if you say, is there anyone you can introduce me to that might enjoy my work? Or is there a gallery you buy art from that you might be able to introduce me to so that I could do a portfolio review with the gallery you have an association with? I've gotten quite a few galleries through the connections of a happy client introducing me. And the but, reason, but again, yeah. again, you have to ask, you know, you have to ask. ask. Yeah. No, but, oh, yeah. but, you know, I think this goes back even to the whole university idea of not teaching people some of these is that, you know, if you have this idea that art is supposed to sort of speak for itself and I mean, that, that, that that's sure totally is. against what you're suggesting, which is you need to go out and beat the bushes then you want it you do need to i mean a lot of my peers did go to teach college uh were professors of art on the college level and now that they're retired they're making some really great art but i didn't want to wait until i was retired to make my own art you know yeah. if you're a teacher boy that takes up every bit of energy you have if you're doing it right you're wiped out by the end of the day so maybe you're getting some artwork done on the weekends well you know Let's talk about the singular tunnel vision focused way you have to live a life if you're in the arts. You have to keep up on your craft. You have to be really committed. You have to be disciplined. If I didn't have a natural discipline to get up in the morning, put myself together and get out the door and come to a studio, I mean, I wouldn't have any, I wouldn't get anything done. You know, you can't fake your way through making art. Art takes time, <laughs> right? Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So there's no short changing that. But back to your, I want to close on that point about art schools and why they don't teach business and all that. It's because art is supposed to, you're supposed to enter your art training and art learning as a purist do you really have ideas that need to be manifested onto some, you know, mine, mine used to be paper and just canvas. Now it's all sorts of things. But I mean, the art that you're supposed to learn your craft, learn to your, learn your skill set. I got kicked out of ceramics. I was so bad at it. You know, it was it was funny at the time. But I mean, everything I made had air bubbles in it. So it would explode in the kiln and screw up everybody else's project. So I got booted out of there. I wasn't good at that, you know, <laughs> but I could draw anything, you know, I could paint anything, but you're supposed to be a purist. And the idea of mixing, you know, if anybody in my contemporary field listens to this interview, I will get some grief over talking about art as a business. That is such well, a no, no in my world. Oh, all right, all right, but I will posit a controversial, <laughs> controversial statement, which is I'm going to bet in today's world that some mediocre artists probably have super successful businesses yes. because they know how to run a business and market yes. themselves and collect money effectively. And yes. there are probably some phenomenally talented artists who... Oh can't market their way out of a paper bag and are suffering because of it. Am You're, I wrong? You are absolutely right. When I go down to participate in, in Art Basel Week and my work shows in Art Miami, which is such a respected venue, I feel so, so fortunate 
and grateful and thankful to my art representative that takes me down there. To be there is just a, is really just, I mean, I can't say enough about it, but when I'm down there, I am stunned sometimes at, <laughs> at some of the art that is absolute bleep bleep, you know, uh, and I think substandard, sub shall we say? Well, substandard. Well, look at the look at writing. I mean, there's another parallel. I mean, you look at the top ten books on the New York Times bestseller <gasps> list at any time. Yeah. There's a lot of garbage on there. I'm sorry. I, I agree. I agree with you. But there's but but it's on topics that common man, let's call them, understands. You know, you have an art audience that they'll only buy art that what they what they see is what they're going to get they don't want to be challenged in any other way they just want the beauty of that seascape and and i get that there is a place for that some people just want to they don't want the symbols and the things that i sneak into my canvases <laughs> it's like what does that mean is that is that something i'm supposed to be in agreement with or is what is that you know some people get unnerved so so in contemporary art there's more of that Therefore, there's more, more art that, that revolves around, if I see one more Warhol knockoff, I'll just, oh, just kill me. <laughs> but people continue to buy it. And he is still the top selling, what we call in my world, dead guy. He is the top selling Picasso and he go like, you know, back and forth every year. Funny to hear this. I know, I know. All right, so you, you do need to think about art as a business in yeah. order to survive, make a, a, a go of it, to pay your bills, much less live a comfortable, uh, a very comfortable life. So what are some of the things that you think aspiring artists need to think about before they take the plunge and yeah. try to set up their own business? What what are the lessons you learned and advice you'd give them? Yeah, there are some stair steps that I can recommend. Somebody fresh out of art school, if you want to accept an invitation to hang your work in a coffee shop or in a restaurant, go for it. You need to at least start getting your name and your images out there. Don't depend on that because that is considered just wall art. It's not gonna elevate you in any way, but it's a way to get started. If there's one art fair platform you'd like to try, pick one of the good ones because there are excellent art fair platforms, the ones that you have to be juried into so that you're not in an art fair where here you have some really strong art and next door to you is the kettle corn popper. And I'm saying that because that happened to me once. <laughs> well, there's a lot of those kind of art <laughs> and like, crafts. Oh dear. You know, a lot and of people have arts and craft fairs, right? And some of it seems try not to go fine. to the craft fairs. Try not to go to the craft fairs. Try to, you know, get on the Google machine and find fine <laughs> art fairs. <laughs> now it costs some money for the booth, but beg, borrow, or steal the the, the booth money. It could be three hundred dollars or, or more, and then you have to drive your stuff there and you have to set up and you have the grueling work of talking to people and maybe the, you know, the weather. But anyway, beyond that, I really like to recommend to artists uh, who really want to try it, make sure that you get outside of yourself, get some objectivity, get someone's eyeballs that you trust to come look at your work periodically now that you're out of school 
and give you the advice. Are you ready to launch? Because I, I've got to tell you, I have seen so many artists in my big building that I have my studio in launch too early. And then they're mortified with embarrassment 10 years later that people have that work hanging on their walls. You know, you can walk someplace and find your art in a vintage resale store because it, yeah. it, it was crap, you know? Yeah. So pace yourself, take your time, launch when you're truly ready. Also archive your work, take photographs of everything you do and keep a, keep a log of when you made the work did you sell the work? Who did it sell to? And how much money did it sell for? And where is it located? I don't know why I knew to do that, but I started doing that at the very onset. I have archives that go back 40 years now, and they're in every form. Slides, <laughs> transparency slides, yeah, right. dis, digital, digital photographs, all of that, all of that. You know, five by seven glossies, whatever. Yes, I have all of that, you know. <laughs> But also another very important thing, if you want to compete amongst your peers, be in competitions, get grants, fellowships, which is money, you must write about your work. If you can't sit down once a week and practice writing about why, you, why are you painting what you're painting or why are you sculpting this subject? why are you interested in expressing this? Then you have no artist statement, which gives you credibility in the art world who is going to be judging you at a higher level. You know? Well, so it's basically the elevator speech, right? I mean, it's the elevator yeah. pitch for your business that you know venture capitalists talk to startups about. It's the same thing. You need, you know, you need to pitch your business. You, it, you do. You do. Interested in talking to you about what you do. In terms of marketing, have you found things like trying to get yourself mentioned in uh, press releases or in yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, yeah. local business journals or newspapers or anything? Has that been a useful yes. strategy for you? What that does mostly is is keeps your name and your presence. And reminding people you're not dead, <laughs> you know, because artists like to be alone doing their thing. You know, I love my isolation, but right. I, <laughs> I get a lot done. Oh, that I, way. <laughs> but uh, I believe in doing press releases. I believe in looking for gallery representation in your own, conquer your own locality first and then bust out. There's never going to be a big enough audience just in your own city or your own state. I did that very successfully for the first 10 years. And then the second 10 years, I started getting represented by galleries. Galleries just started picking me up all over the place. Some of them were successful in selling my work and some weren't, but that, you know, that's like any product, let's call it's it. It's all a great exposure though, right? If you can find great exposure and all you need is one good client to walk into your show and become a patron. And then it all becomes accumulative. If you see what I mean, you know, um, I've taken out magazine ads and probably broken even. So I say, take or leave that. I'm not real excited about that. What works best for me is just showing up to things like 
I will go to the opening gala of the symphony in my city. I will go to other artists' art shows or art events. I will go to the 500 racetrack. You, you, you can't believe where you pick up a client just by being there and talking. And, you know, raucously, I call that part of my business the schmooze and booze trail that you have to walk. You but know? I, I'm sure that's a piece of it for lots of artists. And, oh, it um, is. If you can engage an audience in you as a person and then help them understand what your art is, it, it helps you make a sale of your art because people like to feel like when they take something home and they hang it in a prominent place in their house, that they can tell their neighbor or their families that, that come for dinner on Sunday, we're so excited about this piece, but we just love the artist. Now, not all artists have enough personality they're shy, they're way too introverted. And for those artists, they need to be extra reaching out for help to get gallery representation where the gallery takes that on for you. You know, I happen to be able to self-represent pretty well. And I'll tell you this too, the galleries that I have had artwork in over the last 25 years that have been run and owned by women have been my most successful. That's just been such a fun factoid to share. That is interesting. And are, yeah. are there more and more galleries owned and run by women? Or no, the, it, 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 the arts are so difficult, Doris, that right now, and, and you know, whew, I mean, art galleries open, they close, they stay open for a while, and then something comes along and they all close, and then some of them rebirth themselves. And oh my goodness, you have to be hardy, even as the gallery owner, not just the creator. Wow. I, I never thought about that as a, as a business, but. Yeah. Um, that's, yeah. that's an interesting comment. Well, you know, we're almost out of time and I want to make sure that I give you a chance to let viewers and listeners know how to reach you if they're interested in learning more about your art or finding more, more out about uh, your portfolio and the kinds of things you do. Well, how should people you. reach you? Yes, I think there, uh, there are a couple of ways. The simplest way, because as your audience has heard, my last name is Bear. <laughs> Most people don't know how to spell it. it, gets, it it's, it's a tough one. So that's why I put uh, my Instagram account is so full of visuals and information. Ah. And it's, it's the at sign, um, Constance Art. If you go there in my bio, you can go directly with a click to my website and you don't okay. have to spell Scopolitis. My website is constancescopolitis.com. But if you can't spell it, you may say, oh, I'm not going to do it. So <laughs> go to Constance Art. Yeah. And, and I don't know, are there other platforms? I don't know, Pinterest or... Um, I am on, I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Instagram. And I have two websites. And that is enough. I got to tell you, I almost, you know, as an artist who just rather be doing my thing, it takes hours a week for me to commit. <laughs> Don't you I know? I can tell you, you can spend your entire <laughs> oh, day. It's a rabbit. Nothing but social media stuff. Oh my I goodness. May not have a payoff. I, I should probably do a whole show just on that. You know, you, you know, I got picked up by a gallery in New York during the pandemic because of my social media. So I will never poo-poo it again. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, great. And you also mentioned that you're um, happy to, you know, that you spend time mentoring and, yeah. 
you know, helping yeah. others. And so I'm sure even if people maybe aren't interested in being a patron, but are struggling as an artist and maybe looking for some advice, you're, you're open to connecting as well. If they can email me and they'll see that contact info on my website. Yeah. Try it. If you don't well, ask. You know, it's, yes. it's been a delight talking to you. I feel like I could talk with you for hours and unfortunately we only have an hour, but I want to say thank you so much for joining me today. It's just been a delight getting to know you and hearing a little bit about your world. So thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Dora, so much too. <laughs> we have just a couple of minutes before we wrap up. I want to pass along a really good book recommendation. I just finished reading Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. It's a great book, or definitely a worthwhile read. Simon Sinek, for those of you who maybe have been living under a rock or in a cave or something, is a very charismatic and articulate motivational speaker. He has a real knack for getting to the nut of things. I still think his best book is Start With Why, and that is a must-read, I think, for any entrepreneur. But Leaders Eat Last is interesting because the subtitle is Why Some Teams Fail and Others Succeed. Linking together... I guess it's not earth-shattering, but that great teams start with great leadership. And you need teams to really function to make your company hum along, but it's really difficult for that to happen unless you provide the leadership and support. It's a worthwhile book. Pick it up when you get a chance. Actually, I recommend almost anything Simon Sinek has done. He's got several TED Talks out there several books, and he is truly a great read. He's just very insightful. In this book, he focuses on the military as an example of leadership and how that trickles down to the team, but the lessons are absolutely applicable in small businesses and large businesses too. So pick it up when you get a chance, Simon Sinek's Leaders Eat Last. Again, I want to say thank you, a special thank you to Constance Gobolitas, the founder of Constance Art, talking about the business of art. And a thank you to all my listeners. You're the reason I'm here. You can find more helpful information and resources uh, for small businesses on my website, which is globalityservices.com. And because the show is for you, my listeners, my door is always open. I welcome comments, suggestions, questions, or you just want to shoot the breeze. Email me at dnagel at lakesradio.org. I promise you I'll respond. Now, be sure to join me again next Saturday at 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneuring.